0: The truth, the whole truth, and nothing how but does the, the truth. defendant plead? Not guilty. Everyone, no matter how rich or poor, has the right to sue if they've been defamed or... No had one should be scared invaded. of making a reasonable criticism of a company in case they get sued for libel. Guilty. guilty. Hello, I'm Gary Slapper, Professor of Law at The Open University, and with me is Francis Gibb, Legal Editor of The Times. In 2010, the tennis player Robert D sued a British newspaper after it said that he was the world's worst tennis pro. A defamatory statement is a false statement which tends to lower a person in the estimation of right-thinking people generally. Francis, do you think that it's too easy now for people to sue for defamation in Britain?
1: I think it is. I think there's been a big change from where we were a few years ago. You could argue a few years ago that it was almost impossible for people to bring libel cases, that newspapers and the media held all the cards Mm. for a number of reasons. I think it's gone the other way.
0: Mm. Some would say there's a big responsibility on large organisations whose broadcasts or publications can change the world and affect greatly the way that life works. A responsibility on those organisations to be careful about what they say about other people and other organisations, so hence the law of uh, defamation. But there needs to be a balance, isn't there, between the right of free speech and the way that the organisations behave.
1: There, there does. I mean, the media hasn't always been entirely responsible, and I think... For that reason, there's been a lot of public support for the growing law of privacy. That's been one of the big changes in recent years, really encouraged by European court cases and, in particular, the Human Rights Act now being in law in this country. And it's highlighted that people can bring claims successfully against newspapers for invasions of privacy. That's been one big development.
0: The Court of Appeal in 2010 eventually sided with the case of the science writer Simon Singh, Mm. who had been sued by the British Chiropractic Association after he criticised them in a newspaper article. And the debate in that matter seemed to swing on how far it's legitimate for a member of the public to write critical things about a large organisation without being open to personal action for defamation. What did you think about the balance of that case?
1: That case was absolutely terrifying in many ways. Although Simon Singh actually did win in the end, it cost him, I think, £200,000. So that can't be right. I mean, the Court of Appeal got it right in the end and they said we can't have people not able to express opinions and that the answer to an opinion being expressed that people don't like is not to kind of chill it down but to have more debate. Mm. And, mm. and I suppose it must have had quite an impact in your area, Gary, in academia as well as just in the general kind of free speech debate, that case.
0: Yes, absolutely. There have been several cases now in which academic writers have sought to criticise medical techniques, medical devices, pharmaceutical products, and have been sued for defamation in the UK by American corporations. And you would have thought that, as you say in the Court of Appeal said in the SIN case, that the antidote to something false being said or allegedly false uh, against a company is for the company to use its often very considerable resources to contradict the lie against it in the public domain, with supporting proof and to enter into the spirit of free public debate not to try to extinguish debate by going personally after someone no. um, who's been the critic. No, I yeah. mean
1: the, the most outstanding example of that was quite a few years ago wasn't it, when the, the whole libel arena was very, very different and it was that classic case of the so-called McLibel 2, the two unwaged mm. protesters mm. who were sued by the might of the McDonald's corporation mm. over various leaflets that mm. the these two had distributed and of course you'll remember that turned into the longest trial in British history I think.
0: Yes and uh, often I think these cases play with the law of unintended consequences that the Detriment that the company, the suing company, suffers as a result of Mm. being a claimant is worse than it would have suffered if it had remained quiet or tried to resolve the matter. Well, well, that's uh, right. I mean, it was a real
1: cautionary tale, wasn't it? In that one, because although the protesters didn't win, they won on a a few points, but I think overall McDonald's probably won more Mm. points. That the publicity Mm. and the the, the whole thing rebounded on them to, to a great extent.
0: Absolutely. And as the Court of Appeal said in in the Singh case, that the scientific controversies should be better settled by the methods of science rather than the methods of uh, litigation that the crucible of a law court isn't the best place to uh, resolve complicated scientific debates and anyway science is like many other human subjects a dynamic uh, phenomenon, it changes all the time and the debates become uh, richer for being more open and multi-parties and that it's not a good idea to try to sort this out in a a single... law court, No.
1: no but what I think is really interesting is why we've got this change and, and why I think the media and newspapers and so on are now on the back foot whereas before newspapers and the media were the ones who were regarded as holding all the cards. It's now I think gone the other way and I think it's a number of things apart from the rise of privacy law. It's now easier for people because of the no win no fee arrangements that we get and that didn't exist in the days of course when the McLibel too were, were fighting. And there is no legal aid for libel and there were no are the sources of funding for people. Mm. But now a number of law firms have really made their name by bringing these actions with massive uplift on their fees if they win.
0: Mm. What was then the outgoing government at the beginning of 2010 tried to have the law changed in line with the Jackson Review by saying that uh, instead of solicitors being able to charge 100% uplift on their normal fee, it should be capped at 10%. Because That's right, that yes. Be-
1: Interestingly, yeah. the coalition government about the one piece of legislation they have pledged themselves to is reforming the laws of libel. Hmm. And I think Every party was signed up to that before the election. Mm. Just to remedy the scales, I think, really. Maybe to cap these no-win, no-fee arrangements, as you say, at 10%. But also, I think very important, which would also help adjust the scales, to have a statutory defence of public interest, which is mm. doesn't exist. I mean, there is case law, but there is no defence in law, whereby the newspapers or the media can say it was in the public interest, and this is what we're going to argue, and here it is in law.
0: Because the public interest, I think, would in- arguably include the contribution to debate of people who are saying something which is interesting and highly critical that might over history turn out to be wrong but was an interesting thing to have had as part of a stimulant to the discussion. If you look back over the history of different scientific uh, or philosophical debates, you always find that these things are better for having a variety diversity of viewpoints and if people have to absolutely prove the correctness of everything that they're saying before they enter into discussion. It impoverishes debate. That's a different thing from recognizing that someone who is personally injured by a falsehood, which brings them into disrepute, a sort of standard and old-fashioned definition of defamation, should clearly have a a right to sue and should be compensated and that the person who's liable, it should be made, uh, known to be liable in the public domain. But yes. I think those things, are, I mean, obviously,
1: obviously there has to be responsibility. I think newspapers know that. And at the moment, you know, there is the so-called Reynolds defence. This is the nearest we've got at the moment after a case involving the former Irish Premier. But... It is quite hard to fulfil the Reynolds criteria, so I think that's why it's important to put that into statute. But there are other things that are floating around that I think would help as well, like some sort of curb on the use of these super injunctions. These are injunctions against the press or preventing publicity about a case or a person, and you can't even talk about the existence of the injunction. Mm, mm. And that seems to be on the increase, which is alarming.
0: Yes, I think you came to light dramatically in one case where uh, an oil company had sought to extinguish the debate in Parliament and to prevent reporting of a question that had been asked in the British Parliament about that, an action which was subsequently withdrawn but which demonstrated the uh, length to which some companies will go in in order to have debate cut uh, whereas... The public interest is surely in, in most instances in debate remaining open for yes. the continuing right of any person who thinks that they've been aggrieved to uh, have an opportunity to correct the error against them.
1: Yes, I think there's been a worry about judges being perhaps prepared to grant these too readily. And along with that worry has been the worry that judges are too much in favour of privacy laws and perhaps a little bit... Anti jury, because there's a current case at the minute um, going through involving the bodyguard of Michael Jackson, former bodyguard, which is a, a, a libel action he's bringing against Channel Four. And in that case, which is not a particularly complex case, it's been ruled that there can be no jury, which is discretionary in libel cases. But you would have thought, in that case, it was it was a fairly good argument to have a jury. And I think people are alarmed, thinking, is this a, a move towards the end of juries in libel actions?
0: It's, uh, it- difficult to justify the determination of an issue in the public interest if you're excluding the public from yes. discussing that very point. But, <laughs> That's right. Um, thank you very much for an interesting discussion, Francis Gibb. This is a podcast from the Open University Business School Law Programme. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk law. From the Open University.